Today, we are continuing together in our study of the Lord's Prayer. And again, we are using this Lord's Prayer as a guide for us for prayer throughout all of the Lenten season. Now, honestly, I would love to know, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but when I say to you this morning, very simply, hey, everybody, we are getting ready and continuing studying the Lord's Prayer. I would be very curious to know internally what your initial reaction is. I mean, when I say to you, hey, we're studying the Lord's Prayer, I wonder if there are many of us who feel like, yes, that is great, that is wonderful, I've been waiting to study the Lord's Prayer, I would love to dig into the Lord's Prayer. I would wonder how many of us have that reaction, or when I say, hey, everyone, we are going to study the Lord's Prayer a little bit more, if we're more like, ah, Lord's Prayer, okay, whatever. Or if when I say we're going to study the Lord's Prayer, it's literally just sort of a, uh Again, we don't have to raise our hands, but I don't think that I'm going out on a limb very far to say that when I initially say, hey, we are going to study the Lord's Prayer together, I would venture to guess that most of us, many of us, when I say that we're studying the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's sort of a, oh, we're studying the Lord's Prayer at best. There's this very lukewarm response to the idea of studying prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer. Here is Jesus giving us a major key to the kingdom of God. He's given us an exact recipe for how to do something that God wants to bring the kingdom of God among us. It is a free resource. It is a powerful resource. It is an endless resource. It's divine resource. It's given endlessly to us by God. And yet prayer remains at best a nice activity that usually does not generate much excitement in our hearts. That's with prayer in general. I think it's even more the case when we look specifically at the Lord's Prayer, because for many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us, we've heard the Lord's Prayer before. And when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, the temptation is to think that we don't have anything left to learn because, hey, I I know that prayer. Maybe for many of us, we could even say it by memory. What do I have to learn? I, I can just mindlessly say those words. I already know it. So there's this very blasé kind of feeling about prayer in general, but specifically for the Lord's Prayer. I mean, what could there be to learn? But I wonder if that's what Jesus really had in mind in giving us the Lord's Prayer. Was Jesus's goal just for us to memorize five verses that we should be able to share on command? Was his goal just to give us a nice little speech to memorize? Or was there something deeper that Jesus had in mind? Was there something much more significant that he wanted us to grasp. The truth is the Lord's prayer is a prayer that's meant to lead and guide us for an entire lifetime. That's why we're taking a chunk of the Lord's prayer each week that we gather together and to try to digest it piece by piece by piece, because there is so much to learn and there's so much to unpack and there's so much to literally digest with this prayer. And so my prayer is that we don't miss that. So we began a few weeks ago, beginning with our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when we looked at that phrase, you might remember in that opening part of the prayer, there's a reference to God as dad or daddy. There's a vulnerability and an intimacy there. And yet at the same time, pretty much in the same breath, we recognize that the name of God is hallowed and holy and to be venerated and respected and held in honor. And we recognize that the kingdom of God in heaven, it is so very close even within us, and yet it encompasses the entire universe as well. And then last week, Pastor Rick led us through, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Pastor Rick helped us realize how difficult it is to do that, to pray for God's kingdom over our own. 
And yet, when we are willing to do that, there is a power to be found in asking for God's kingdom to come before our own. But the only way that we can pray that together is with a sense of humility, because we acknowledge, God, I'd much rather have my will than your will. But Lord, we're going to pray for your kingdom to come first. Notice that in these first phrases of the Lord's Prayer, the primary emphasis is about God. We go to God first. It's our Father first. It's God, your kingdom first. And now today there comes a shift in the prayer. We began with God, with those elements of God our Father and God thy kingdom come. And now for the first time, we can start to pray about us. Lord, give us our daily bread. We cannot get to us, though, without first beginning with God. And that's what this prayer reminds us of. But now that we've spent some time looking to God first, we can start to move along and start to offer prayer for us. And this is absolutely fascinating to me, that when we start to pray for us, what is the very first thing we're asked to pray for ourselves? It's bread. That's so interesting. There are millions of options that could have been in there. God, we pray for happiness. God, we pray for security. God, we pray for peace. God, we pray for fame. God, we pray for a good job. God, we pray for money. God, we pray for kids or family. None of those are the first thing. The very first thing that God says in this prayer, as soon as we turn attention to praying for ourselves, as God says, I want you to ask for daily bread. Why in the world is that? What's so important about bread for us to understand? Pastor Adam Hamilton points out that there's an interesting phrase that's used in some translations in scripture. Maybe some of you have heard it, maybe not. But the phrase is this, the staff of bread of life. If you look up certain scriptures, especially in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16, chapter 4, 14, and verse 13, all of those in Ezekiel, you'll see in some translations this reference to the bread of the staff of life. Why is it that scripture is using this reference and comparing a staff with bread? What does it mean? What is scripture's way of saying to us, bread is the greatest life sustainer. It's the greatest supporter that there is. Think for a moment of a literal staff. Most of us probably know what that is. Used to be used more in olden times, especially with shepherds out there with their sheep. The ground was rocky. They needed extra support. And so they would take a staff and use that to literally help them walk along. More recently, if you are a Lord of the Rings fan, you might remember Gandalf. He uses his staff to move along. If you're a Star Wars fan, Yoda uses a staff. And you know what it's used for. You have a staff to put your weight on. That staff literally supports you so that your weight can go on the staff instead of yourself. When you don't have the strength yourself or you're off balance, you need a staff to literally help you move forward. That's what bread is intended to do in our lives. We need this bread literally for support so that we can begin to move forward when we cannot on our own strength. Some of you may know this, I'm not sure, but my wife, Jen, has actually not been feeling, well, she's been feeling fine, I shouldn't say it that way, but she's been a little bit hurt the last couple of weeks. And so uh, for her, I I brought pretty much a modern day equivalent, I think, of a staff, and that is a crutch. And, um, you know, I had a few people this morning say to me, did you even check with Jen before taking her crutch? Because she might need that, but I want to assure you I did, and this is okay, but you know how crutches work. My wife's hip is hurt. She can't really put weight on it right now. So she uses a crutch to bear her, to sustain her, that when her body doesn't have the strength that it needs, she relies on this crutch or this modern day staff. That's what this Lord's Prayer is telling us bread does in our life. It lets us bear upon it. It sustains us when we cannot sustain ourselves. That's the image that we're being given here. 
When we start to look at this idea of bread, there's a lot of us who might think, you know what? I don't know the Bible nearly as well as I would like. I would venture to guess you know more of the Bible than you think you do. In fact, this morning, I bet you know more of the biblical narrative than what you think you do. And I'll prove it to you. If you just picture the image of bread and what it means, you already know a lot of scripture. And so I'm going to ask for your help here this morning. When I indicate to you, and it will be very clear, I just need you collectively together to say bread. Okay, so let's give it one practice try. One, two, three. Okay, great. You're with me. Super. So we're going to go through this and you're going to see how much scripture together that you know. So think back at the beginning of Genesis. You've got Adam and Eve. They are expelled from the garden. And what is it they are told to do? God says to them, by the sweat of their brow, they will now go and eat. Very good. Then you move along in scripture. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of porridge and some. There you go. Joseph and his brothers come along and they have to go to Egypt because there's a famine in the land and they go to Egypt to search for so that they won't go hungry. After 400 years, Moses leads the slaves that are in Egypt, the Israelite people to freedom at the end of the plagues in Egypt, but they have to move quickly. There's no time in the yeast for the bread and for the yeast and the work to work in the bread. So they have to leave quickly and they leave therefore with unleavened Because, again, they have to hurry so that nobody catches them before they can move on their way to freedom. Once they do that, they're out in the wilderness. The Egyptians have been left behind. God has defeated them. They're wondering, though, how are we going to have sustenance out here in the desert? How are we going to make our way? There's no food out here. So God sends manna so that every day they can make Exactly. Then you get to the New Testament. Jesus is tested in the wilderness very, very early in his ministry, even before he starts his ministry. And Satan tempts Jesus with three different temptations. One of the temptations is to turn stones into... In his public ministry, Jesus spends time with sinners almost every day. We see it a lot in scripture. It says that he's eating with sinners and common people. And every day he's breaking with them. There's a miracle of 5,000 and Jesus feeds them. And how does he feed them? He takes two fish and he takes five pieces of, and he multiplies them and he feeds thousands upon thousands. And then on the very last night of his life, Jesus takes a cup and says that this cup is a representative element of my blood. And Jesus comes and takes and says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in my name. See, the whole biblical narrative in so many ways can be shared through the image of bread. So we start to see and understand that when we pray for bread, it's encompassing a whole bunch of stuff. Bread is life and bread is a reminder that we need more than ourselves to be sustained and move forward, not just physically, but spiritually with who we are. This is why Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Bread is a way of asking God to give us that which will sustain us and move us forward. It's a way to say, God, I depend on you completely, no matter what circumstances I'm going through. It's an invitation to trust God with anything that we might be going through, no matter how difficult the circumstances that we have right now, to trust that somehow, some way, God is going to provide, even when it looks like there is not a way for God to provide. So Jesus comes to us And Jesus says, no matter what you were going through, and I would say to us, no matter what we're experiencing right now, even in this very moment with the weight of worry and whatever stresses were going on in life, we're wondering how in the world is this going to occur? How am I ever going to get through? How am I going to be sustained? We remember that Jesus comes and basically says to us, pray this prayer, no matter what your circumstances, God, I trust you to meet my needs. 
I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, I trust that you will. And we do know God will. So if that's, if that's what we're to pray, how is it that God actually gives us our daily bread? How does God answer this prayer? Well, you know as well as I do, we're often disappointed by our prayers. We expect God, when we offer a prayer, we expect God to answer, answer instantly. It's almost like I picture somebody closing their eyes and doing one of these and sort of a magic kind of thing. And God, I asked for a car. Poof. I want to see a car. God, I, I'm, I'm thinking of some money. I'm asking for money. Please provide it. Poof. And there's money. Prayer doesn't work that way. So when it doesn't happen, we get disappointed. We expect it instantly. And when it doesn't happen, it's very frustrating to us. But we know that prayer often doesn't work that way. We know that in life, the greatest things take time more often than not. It takes years and years for an athlete to become great and hone his or her skills. It takes years for actors to do that. It takes years for great cooks to do that. It takes years for the doctors to become the best doctors they can be and teachers to be the best teachers they can be because great things often take time. Remember, we were created to love as God loves and to reciprocate God's love in our world. That means that you and I are intended to be the hands and the feet of God. That means you and I are intended then to do what God does. So if God answers prayers through the hands and feet of God's people, what does that mean when it comes to prayer being answered? It means that you and I become the answers to prayer. Think even for a moment just right now. Think about praying the prayer, Lord, physically, give us today our daily bread. Think about how that actually works until some food, some bread that we can eat ends up on the plate before us. It begins somewhere with seeds being planted in the ground and a farmer working the soil and with the rain and letting those seeds grow into grain. Then that grain has to be harvested by farmers and moved by truckers. The truckers take it to the mill where millers will turn it into flour. And then another truck comes and he takes that flour and takes it to a baker. And that baker bakes it into something. And then more trucks come so they can now take the bread to a supermarket where we can pick it up. Or they'll take it to a restaurant where a cook or a chef will do something even more with the bread. And then a waiter or waitress will come and bring that bread to our table. So we eventually get the bread, but it takes a long time. And there's a lot of people being used as the hands and the feet of God to bring about that prayer to fruition before us so that we can literally take a bite of bread. And notice it takes some time. Daily bread is provided, but usually not magically. It can happen magically, but more often than not, God chooses another way. God chooses us to be answered prayer for each other. So when we pray this prayer, it's also an invitation for us to meet the needs of others. Many of us don't have to think about where's my next meal going to come from. Many of us have enough food in our cupboard right now to at least have a couple more meals. There are many others among us who do not know where their next meal is going to come from. So when we come together as a church and we pray for daily bread to be given... It's also a way for us to see things like first night occur where a meal is given and literally daily bread provided every Wednesday night. We've also started recently something called Fresh Express twice a month, every other week after a meal is shared at first night. People have the opportunity to get even more food and take it home with them so that they'll have food beyond just Wednesday, but into Thursday and maybe Friday as well. And when that happens, God uses God's people to supply the answer to other people's needs. It's one of the reasons that we give. Because when we give generously, it provides resources for others. And we become the answer 
of prayer that other people offer. In this, God desires to use us to become some, the answer to someone else's prayer. Now think about that for just a moment. That's an amazing thought when you really pause about it. And this is how God desires to move for you and I to be the answer prayer. So when you sit with somebody who's homeless and you try to offer them some hope, you're the answered prayer. You're sitting with somebody and maybe they need a tire changed and you can help them change their tire. You are the answered prayer. You're working on a computer and you don't know how to fix it. And someone else can come along who can help you to fix it. Maybe you've got that knowledge and you offer it. You become the answered prayer. Just last weekend, I was not in Williamsport. I was at a, uh, at a, a basketball tournament for one of my sons and we were a couple hours away. And I did something that I haven't done for years. I was so irritated because I'm pretty fanatical about three things. I always know where my keys are. I always know where my phone is. I always know where my wallet is. I figure if I know where those three things are and I have easy access to them, I, I, life will be okay. So I'm always checking and making sure I know where those things are. Didn't I last weekend when I was a couple hours away at a pretty inconvenient time as I'm, I'm at my vehicle and I'm talking and I wasn't paying full attention and I had my keys and for some reason I set them down on the car seat and I'm talking and you know where this is going and I'm looking around and talking and then I get out of the car and I'm, because I wasn't focused on what I was doing, I get out and I'm pushing the door shut and it's no sooner leaving my fingers and I'm like, oh, I hope that's not locked as it's going. And of course, it shut before I could grab it, and it was totally locked. And there were my keys. And what was particularly frustrating, I think I was this far from my keys. The problem was I was on one side of the car door, and they were on the other. And so I'm looking through the glass. And I mean, it's like 12 inches away, and I just can't grab it. I was so frustrated. There were no windows cracked that I could work with. It was nothing. And so I literally, and I'm hours away from home, Lord, do something here, please. When I prayed that prayer, the door to my car didn't magically just appear so that I could reach in and get my keys and everything was well. That did not happen. But you know what did happen? I was able to call AAA, pretty easy number. And you know what? Within 30 minutes, there was a gentleman who came up and he was almost like magic. He had this cool little gadget. I mean, within 30 seconds, he just opened it right up and he could reach in through the car in a certain way and boom, it was open. That guy came to my rescue. He was my answered prayer. And God desires to do that with each one of us as well. As we start to finish this part of the Lord's Prayer, we hear this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. The word used for daily here is a pretty interesting word, and here's why. It's a word called epousios, the word for daily. In the entire New Testament, it's not used anywhere else. The only place it's used is here in the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Not used anywhere else. Not only is it not used in the rest of the New Testament, you cannot find this word in all of Greek literature. Now, why do I point that out? I point it out because what it indicates is that something here is going on with the use of the word daily. There's a concept being conveyed that the original disciples and others would have looked and said, there's something going on here that we don't even have words adequate to describe. So we got to come up with our own word to try to convey what is being shared here in this word daily. There's basically two smaller words that make up the word epousios. The first one is a modifier, the word epa. And epa means above, upon, by which. And then there's a word ousios, and ousios means substance or essence. 
Now, ousios was a very familiar word in the Greek. Lots of people used that. And in fact, when they were talking about Jesus early on, they were trying to figure out the relationship between Jesus as the Son and God the Father, trying to describe that relationship that Jesus and God the Father were one, but they were distinct in the Trinity. And they were trying to figure out what's the best way to describe this. And they said, well, it's based on ousios. They have the same ousios. They have the same essence or the same substance. So when you put these two words together, epa what it is saying is that which supports or is above and beyond your very essence, your very nature, that which sustains you moment by moment by moment on a daily basis, that upon which your substance stands on a continual basis. That's the idea being conveyed here with this epousius, this daily idea. And hopefully that sounds a little bit familiar because it takes us all the way back around to the concept we sort of started with, that concept of the staff that sustains us, that we need moment by moment to literally get us forward one step to the next, to the next, to the next. Except in this case, we're not just talking about the essence of our physical bodies. We're talking about the essence of our souls, our, our spiritual being. And church, that's what Jesus comes to give us in our daily bread. It's not just a physical manifestation of bread. It's spiritual bread as well. It's words of life. It's having this relationship with God. It's time spent in prayer. It's time spent in the spirit. This is why Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 35 of the gospel of John, I am the bread of life. So Jesus offers him. He is the one that satisfies the hunger, the yearning for our hearts. He is the one who satisfies the essence of who we are. And again, it's more than just that physical filling your stomach. It's also filling the void of meaning and purpose in our lives. Maybe you remember the Christmas carol. We sing it every year about Jesus born in Bethlehem. Oh, sweet little town of Bethlehem. You might remember the word Bethlehem is based on two words, bet, which means house and lahem means bread. So literally Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. That's striking to me because it says that God knew for moment one, that even Jesus would be born in a place, a place called house of bread, that he, even as he's entering initially into this world, he would be the bread of life for all the world. That he was always intended to be that, which we feasted upon to find the fulfillment of our essence. And we're made to crave only this kind of bread. Nothing else will do. We continually look to fill the void of our essence in so many other ways, and it always leaves us wanting. It always leaves us hungry. It always leaves us searching. And yet we continue to try and think, well, this time in the money or the fame or the relationship, that'll be the key. And every time it leaves us wanting. A number of years ago, back in 2008, there was a 60 Minutes interview on television with a guy that many of us probably know. His name is Tom Brady the famous quarterback of the New England Patriots. At that time, eight years ago, he was just turning 30 years old. At that time, he already had three Super Bowl rings. He has since added a fourth. He's even more famous now than he was then. But here he is all of those years ago, and he already had everything that one could want. Three Super Bowl championships, all the riches, all the fame, anything this world had to offer, he had it in abundance. He had it all. And yet I want to ask you to watch this video clip and listen to what he shares about searching for something more. Did you hear it? Did you hear the hunger for the essence of who he is? I have three Super Bowl rings and still I think there's something more out there for me. 
And when he's asked the question, well, what is it? He says, I wish I knew. There's got to be more than this. (coughs) Guess what? We have the answer. The more to it than this is the bread of life. The bread of life found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is what he, Jesus is what all of us are searching for. It is literally a different kind of dough. Other than the money that we so often pursue in our lives. Church, we see this all the time. Maybe it's even some of us here today. People are searching and hungry for that longing inside. They're always looking for more. They're thinking there's got to be more to life than this. And there's this emptiness that drives us nuts. And we need to know that there is somebody out there who knows us and loves us more than we could possibly ever love ourselves. And more than we could scarcely dare to believe or dare to dream. And we have to know there's more. And church, there is more. And his name is Jesus Christ. It's so interesting. I'm so glad that everybody's here this morning. We have this tendency to let this one hour of time be the one time of the week that we say, all right, I'm going to come and I'm going to feast on you, God. I'm going to come and worship and connect with you. And don't get me wrong. I'm really glad for that. It's great to connect with God in this hour. But then we have this tendency to leave. And for some of us, we won't eat again till the next time we gather in worship, which is another week away. So we're going to go an entire week of not eating, not feeding our souls. What happens, do you think, when we don't eat and we don't feed ourselves for that long a period of time? I know for me in my own life, even to try to fast for 24 hours, my body is left weak and lethargic and tired. So now we're talking a whole week that it's gone since I've eaten, since I've shared in the bread of Christ. What will the condition of my soul be incredibly weak, incredibly lethargic, incredibly tired? So some of us just don't eat at all. But then probably what more of us do than not is is this. We, We go throughout the week and we have this meal here. We share in the bread of Christ this morning. But then we go throughout the week and we just start filling ourselves essentially with junk and with garbage. And so we we pursue and we we get as much money as we can and fill ourselves with that. And we think, hey, that's going to be the answer and that's going to fill me. And we discover it leaves us wanting. And Well, maybe it's a relationship. I mean, if I just get my relationship with my kid right, then that'll be the answer to life and I'll be happy forever after. And we do that and realize, well, gosh, it's still leaving me hungry. And, well, if, I, if I just have enough... If I just have enough happiness in my own life and, and enough people know me and, and care about me, that'll, that'll solve it. Now I'll, I'll be okay then. And we just do this over and over and, and we try to fill that void in our life by eating this. And what happens if you eat enough garbage? It leaves us sick and weak and malnourished. And it's awful. And yet we will leave this week and many of us will feast on things that ultimately destroy us and do not fill us. But this morning, God gives us a different alternative. God gives us the opportunity to recognize where it is we can truly feast and find the one thing that our hearts truly, desperately long for. We were made in the image of God. The only thing that will fill us is the bread of God. The life found in Jesus Christ, because as Jesus says, he is the bread of life. And let me tell you that when we do that, it is a good and wonderful and holy thing. So imagine, if you will, eating this stuff. But if you have this stuff compared to this, 
What do you think that you're going to want to eat? I'm really grateful there is one of you among us. And sometimes you will just stop by our house and you'll say, hey, I made you a fresh, hot loaf of bread. Now, I don't know about all of you. I love bread. I especially love a fresh, hot loaf of bread. And I especially love it when you can take that bread and you can put some butter on it and it melts and you can smell it. And there's that aroma that fills your whole house. And you come and you sit down and you take it. Mmm, so good. I wish y'all could come up here right now with me and just share in this wonderful, good, awesome bread. And you eat that and it's so good and it's so wonderful. And you think, why would I choose anything else but this? Why would I choose this when I can have that? And yet that's what we so often do. Church, very simply, I want to invite us this morning to share in the bread that God gives. It's right here. Jesus Christ himself. And if you are wondering, how is it that I feast? How is it that I share in this bread? God gives us all kinds of ways. When we share in God's scripture, God's holy word, we are filling ourselves with bread. When we put our gifts and abilities that God has given us into practice in service to Christ, we're filling ourselves in bread. When we come and we serve our children or our youth, or we come as a Stephen minister or any other things, it's a way to fill ourselves with God's bread. When we pray and center ourselves before God, we are filling ourselves with bread. Church, we were not made to eat for one day and wait for seven more days and then eat again. We were made to eat daily. So we feast together this morning as we worship. But I hope and pray we'll not wait another whole week, lest we be weak and lethargic and tired. At the same time, that's going to leave us wanting and searching for more. God gives us the answers to what we're looking for. And it's found in his son, Jesus, who is the bread of life, who is the only one who will truly satisfy. And this is why God says to us, why Jesus says to us, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread.